Good morning. What a great way to start a new year as we are coming to you uh, via live stream in hopes that you're staying safe through all of this winter weather. It is uh, a joy to be back with you and uh, we are praying for you individually and we want you to know that you are loved. And this morning we are going to be spending our time in a message from the Gospel of Luke of what happens leading into Jesus' ministry. But before we get there, I'd like to offer us a prayer. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided us this day. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of the world that we live in, and all the ways that we have technology, that you've provided us still an opportunity to worship you, to come together collectively as your church, your sons and daughters. We ask now, Lord, that you would be with each of us, that you would not withhold your Holy Spirit, but God, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that as we spend time in your word, that we spend time with you, that we would grow in our knowledge, our love, our relationship, and also, Lord, that we would grow as your children in Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. I'd like for us to take a moment to take into account everything that we've celebrated over Christmas. This good news of Jesus, the only Son of God that has been born unto us, a Savior, the Messiah. We heard at the Christmas Eve service from Pastor Tyler that it is a momentous moment in all of creation where the Creator, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have come to save us from sin, to offer us an eternal relationship. And God did this through His baby Son, Jesus Christ. I want to offer us an opportunity to hear the words from the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 1 to help us have some context of where we're going and where we've been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The point of fact that God took our lives vicariously to save us from sin needs only to leave us in awe. Think with me here for a moment in the full circle of life. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who created everything, as we just read in the Gospel of John, became flesh, born unto us a baby boy, Jesus, in a manger. Jesus left the right hand of God the Father. In the hypostatic union, being born Jesus, fully God and fully man, didn't remain or stay in that manger. Jesus grew, and what we'll read here in a moment in the Gospel of Luke, began his ministry at the age of around 33 years old. Jesus left the manger, lived fully and revealed fully God to us. He was crucified. He was left on the cross to be put in a tomb. As Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't stay there. He left the cross and was placed in a tomb where he would be resurrected from the tomb. And he didn't stay in the tomb. He left the tomb where he revealed himself to hundreds of people speaking of the resurrection, of eternal life, revealing truly of who he was. 
And yet he didn't stay there. But he ascended into heaven back to the right hand of the Father. A full circle for our lives. This full circle ought to stop us in our tracks of life and thank God Ask ourselves, what path are we taking? What are we paying attention to? What are the things that we're allowing into our lives? Because he saw us fitting to leave heaven. Think about that for a moment. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have created everything, that everything that exists only comes in and through God. And God came here for you and I. He left heaven to come and rescue us from our sin, to build us this bridge, if you will, that through him we would all have eternal life. Now here's another point to make before we get into our scripture of Luke. Pastor Tyler also talked about the prophecies and what would be taking place. There are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament. I want to offer to us a citation here from a book called Science Speaks, and this is by Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. And I read, quote, The statistical improbability of one man, whether accidentally or deliberately, fulfilling just eight of the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. The chance of this happening, they say, is 1 and 10 to the 17th power. Peter Stoner presents a scenario that illustrates the magnitude of such odds. He says this, suppose that we take 10 to the 7th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over this state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say, this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing that they wrote using their own wisdom. End quote. Now in this Science Speaks book, they go back and forth through the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they they point out there are a lot of different discussions of whether it is 47 or 48 or 300. The point of the fact of coming to this reality, Christ being born unto us, Christ is the one who fulfills all the prophecies. He fulfills all the prophecies from the Old Testament that point toward a Savior, the Messiah. Now this is important for us to know as we head into our scripture reading, the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria, and Trachotanus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. 
Now we pause there for a moment getting into verse 2 and ask, why is this important? Why would these individuals be noted at the beginning of chapter 3? Luke begins by naming these Roman officials with the specific details to show us how serious he is in recording the accuracy of what and who is in the picture of history. Now this is beautiful because this is a historical list that not only is cited here in Scripture, but it is also cited outside of the Bible. We continue in the Gospel of Luke and hear these words. The word of God came to John. If you have a pen, I want you to underline that. The word of God came to John. As we remember, John is the son of Zechariah. The word of God came to John and the son of the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth." And all the people will see God's salvation. Right here in verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John. The specific implications of this strikes at the heart of what God is doing and God incarnate through Jesus. Before this moment, God had not spoken for approximately 460 years. I want us to think about that for a moment. Before we have this account of God speaking to John the Baptist, God's not said a, a word. In fact, we, we have the, the last moment in which God, prophetically, God speaks for a prophetic public proclamation as in the book of Malachi about 460 B.C. But now right here, God is speaking again through John. And John speaks the words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 of Isaiah Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. Now let's take a moment here and connect some biblical dots. We have the Old Testament where God led and guided the Israelites through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, I know I'm missing a lot of things in there, but we see this reality and this really take root with Moses and Aaron leading the Israelites from Egypt out of slavery. They came out of the wilderness into the promised land by passing through the Jordan River. Here in this moment, God is speaking through John, where near and around, John is at the Jordan River. A place that once led the Israelites into the promised land is now the place where they are called to repent and believe in the promised Lord, Jesus Christ. Make straight paths for him. A message that he is proclaiming to those who are present and a message that we ought to be listening to ourselves. How are we living our lives? What are the paths that we are taking? The imagery of the path taken, the choices being made, a path guided by God to lead us into right living with him and for him. 
Now I want us to think about this because it is important for us as we, we spend time in God's word. As John is saying, he's coming. Repent. Where in our lives, as we look forward to this new year, are we looking for God? Do we have an expectation? Do we just know in faith and trust that God is going to be there, that God is going to show up? Maybe you're the individual who has gone through so many different things over the past couple of years that you're just, you've kind of written God off and you're like, no. My question for you is if there is somebody like John that is calling out to you, that is trying to have conversations with you, that is praying for you, that is pointing you towards God's word, towards his son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you, are you willing to listen? And maybe there are some of you who have had uh, no difficulties. Maybe some of you have been, been doing all right the last few years. And you're looking into this next new year and thinking, I don't need God, I've got it all together. But deep down, deep down, there will be a moment and you come to a reality that you don't have a thing together. Are you as well willing to listen, to be guided, to take account for the path that you're walking? We go back to our word in verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, this is interesting because John is calling in the wilderness. He's calling people to repent, prepare, make the path straight. And so people are hearing and they're coming out of the wilderness. And the first thing he says to them is, you brood of vipers. Now we know in the context here that he's talking to those religious individuals. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Because that's what the Israelites did. They said, why do we need to repent? Why do I need to prepare myself? We've got this context. We've got our, our seeds. We've got our root system. And it is in Abraham. God has established us through Abraham. And Paul is saying, what, 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 or John is saying, excuse me, John's saying, you brood of vipers. You can't just trust in where you've come from and your family. And he says this, and this is really harsh, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. We have a, individuals who are putting their emphasis in their family lineage. And John's saying, God can simply make that happen out of a stone. He continues on, he says, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Doesn't matter where you've been or what's taken place, he's saying, God is going to cut that root down if there's no fruit. Their response, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone has, who has two shirts should share one, with, share one with who has none, and anyone who has no food should do the same. 
it's fascinating if we actually hear what God is saying here. God is speaking through John the Baptist and, and giving him the wisdom. And, and right here, anyone who has two shirts should share one with who has none. And if anyone has food, should do the same. What would happen if somebody showed up on your doorstep today or tomorrow? With the simple fact of this. I don't have a shirt. I don't have food. What is our response? What is the condition of our heart to that individual or that family? I think about that for yourself and your own household. I think about that as the church of God's children. We continue to read. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? So John's getting a multitude of different people of all sorts. The religious, those of the ordinary, and now tax collectors. Don't collect any more than what you are required to, he told them. Think about that. If that is your occupation, is something that you've always done. Don't do more than what you're required to do. I wonder, and as I chew on those words myself, as we are put forth in our jobs, in our careers, and in our work, are we doing more than what we're required to do? Are we spending more time doing this or that on a task or a subject rather than our relationships, our family, our friends? Verse 14, then some of the soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Now we remember uh, quite a few sermons ago that we understood and, and learned about how Zechariah and Elizabeth became pregnant with John. We know that John is the cousin of Jesus. John gives this most beautiful response. He says, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come with straps whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Think about that for a moment and, and his humbleness, knowing that he is only here to prepare the way of the Lord. He, he knows that God has left his throne, that he has come. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. Do we have in ourselves, in our character and in our faith, of kind of response as John knows willingly that Jesus is holy Jesus is God that he himself is not able to untie the strap of his sandals yet God came for him verse 17 says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns but he will burn up the shaft in an unquenchable fire 
And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. He's telling them, again, in an imagery of the fruit of their lives. Christ has come. And then verse 19 says, But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other things he had, evil things he had done, Herod added this, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So we have the snapshot of John coming in uh, in the wilderness, preaching, prepare your hearts. And then it ends with John getting locked up. Kind of a short burst of a ministry. But here in the reality of what we have just read and thinking about our lives and everything that we have gone through and everything that God continues to bring us into to grow us to shape and form us where in our lives are we paying attention to the path that we are walking you know it's it's quite often and i'm very grateful for my wife and i don't say thank you enough to her in the times that she does this but there's a lot of times that she asks me where's jesus if there is a task or a path or I'm doing this or that, she'll just stop me and say, where, where, where's the focus on Jesus in that? And it's hard sometimes to hear those words. To humbly receive and accept the fact that sometimes I'm going on my own path. My own thoughts and opinions and to have her redirect me as John is directing here. Make straight the paths of your life. Where are you and I being intentional in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Where are you and I coming with a repentive heart to God? The truth of the matter is, is, is you and I need to be sorry more than we are for our sin. We need to turn from our sin more than we are. There's so many times in life that we just brush it off our shoulders. We say tomorrow's a new day. But the truth of the matter is, the Holy One, God incarnate, has come. We don't have to get all caught up in all these different things, but the simple fact here is this, to repent and believe. As we head into this new year, I pray for, for each of us to have a repentive heart always. That in the midst of everything that we might face and all the blessings, the joys, and even the concerns and the trials and troubles, that we would constantly ask God to give us a state of a repentive heart. That we would actively choose the truth that is set before us. That a Savior, the Messiah, Christ has come. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. May it bless you and fill you now and always. In Christ's name, amen.